In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I bounce around talking about the departures of Mark Zumoff and Scott O'Neill, whether or not Ben Simmons would be better served playing in the Olympics, the potential trade availability of Damian Lillard, and the Phoenix Suns making the NBA Finals. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat. We can get a discounted offer on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I am great. Good. uh, Very happy to hear that. I'm very happy to hear. I've been watching the NBA playoffs, as I'm sure not a lot of Sixers fans can stomach, and I gotta say, it's still the year that they should have won. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was definitely, it was wide open. As wide, not not that there aren't good teams playing, not that it would have been easy, but there will always be good teams playing in the conference finals. It will never be easy. This was as open of a path as you will ever get. And Kevin Herter ended their season. It's uh, it is still tough to stomach here. A week and a half, week and a half, a little while later, however long it's been. Um, it is. It yeah, is we can, we can a half, right? Sure, yeah. sure. It is still tough to stomach for sure. Sure, they should have won that. They should have won that. Anyway, we can, uh, I guess, talk about players who are still sort of playing, uh, people who are leaving, former players and coaches who are still playing. Where where would you like to start? I guess we could probably start with the departures. Right, Mark Zumoff retiring after, what, I think 27 years as the play-by-play announcer. Certainly, he I mean, he was a play-by-play announcer for pretty much most of my basketball-watching lifetime. He was with the uh, with the broadcast team another what like twelve years I think before that, so he has been a part of Sixers basketball for quite literally as long as I can remember. He is retiring to go off and accomplish all of his other life goals, which good for him. Um, you know, I think the way he said that, you know, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I want to be able to. I have a lot of other life goals. I want to be able to do them while I'm still able to. I think that is the right perspective to have. It sucks for us as fans and consumers of the Sixers. Uh, because he is a a little treasure uh, on the Philadelphia market, but good for him. I'm 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 legitimately happy for him. Yeah, it's a it's a bummer for us, but obviously it's the end of a great career. I mean, he he also left the door open that he could still be doing other announcing gigs. I know he's done some union games over his career. Uh, yeah, for my whole life, at least as long as I have understood what I'm watching, right. Mark Mark Which Zimoff has been the voice of the Sixers. Some would argue we still don't. So you know, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess for us, what kind of stinks about it is, first off, the Sixers are still pretty good. You know, yep. even with the bad ending this year, Zoo can still have some pretty great calls. And you know, when you think about what the Sixers have been like during his tenure. That guy's yeah. called a lot of average yeah. to really shitty basketball. I, I I will admit I thought about that because he twenty seven years as you go back the Sixers hadn't won a title during that span, uh, and you were hoping it was maybe going to happen here. They obviously went there with Allen Iverson uh, twenty years ago, but I do remember back in Harry in two thousand eight and him getting to call that World Series and just thinking that was real nice to see him get that chance. And I wish Zoo would have had that chance. Uh, I thought they had a uh, we go back to the start of this podcast. I thought they had an open window here. Uh, for that to happen, uh, it is a shame. But I mean, Zoo is 
still a relatively young guy. Uh, I, I, I watch him and I swear he's younger than me, uh, which says as much about me, but it says a lot about him as well. Uh, so it's not like he is, you know, getting one last in like he did with Harry. Um, but I would have liked to see him while he was still doing this on a full-time basis for sure. For sure. Can I quibble with that a little bit? Because I, I heard a lot of other people say that they wanted to see zoo call a championship. What, what championship is he calling? Like the games are on national TV in the, that's, in the that's a fair point. After a second round, they're not. Yeah. That's a fair and, point. That's a fair. And point. Harry, Harry was on radio when he did that. That is a classic Philadelphia video with Harry and yep. wheels doing the million fist pumps or whatever. Bring back wheels, Phillies, by the way. Uh, yeah, just, just bring them back. I, I complained about him my whole career, but you haven't done anything right since, since he's gone. So you, you might as well try. Um, so that's that's one part of it, and the other the other thing is that uh, it just feels like Zoo could keep doing this. You yeah, know, oh he's, yeah, he's still very good at his job. He has but... way more energy than I do. Like you see him at a game, you see him in person. He's always he's always on, uh, and that's that's his real life. Uh, it's not a character. It's not a bit. Um, yeah, he definitely had the energy to keep doing it for sure. But but what's impressive about him is behind the scenes, you know, he he was able to turn. He was always on in terms of having a conversation with you and being present and, and really, you know, understanding your shit and, and whatever. But, but he, you know, when you just had a conversation with him off the air, he was a little more reserved, right? He he was able to hone that energy and, and understand that he was probably going to be yelling for, uh, you know, 20 to 30 minutes in the fourth quarter of that night's game. You never know. Maybe it was a blowout either way. But uh, but hey, Zoo, he he laid out his reasons for wanting to do some other stuff, and it, it all sounded great. I, I can't help but respect that. Yeah, it was it was um, it, it it's the perspective I I, I hope I have um at that point, uh, and quite frankly, with how frustrated I get sometimes, I feel like it's the perspective I need now. Um, <laughs> Wait, the one other thing about Zoo, the uh, everybody asked him about the catchphrases, but the one point I want to make about that, because I was reading the Reddit list of the zoom off isms yesterday, those catchphrases, I feel like they have become not just part of my daily parlance when I'm talking about basketball, but I feel like for most of my life, it became part of Philadelphia's parlance, like on the seesaw amongst the trees. I mean, that's even before you get into garbage and the gold and all those other things. Locking all it, windows it, and doors. It, I think I, th- I hear Zoo's name every time I close up at night. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like when I was playing basketball as a kid, sometimes you would hear, you know, a coach or a fan or a parent say something like that. And it just kind of seeped into your brain. And you started saying that stuff, too. And that's the uh, that's the magic of being a uh, an announcer for that long of a time for such a major media market and really connecting with people who just care about about this team so much even if it's hasn't really been a good franchise for a long time so he he definitely made uh he definitely made his mark uh i mean i kind of mentioned it before when i was talking about what he's like off camera but just an unbelievable guy to uh yep interacting with him over the past few years since we started to do this it just felt good when zoo would compliment you on what you wrote or the question you asked or whatever it just Felt good, and it, it didn't happen infrequently. I'll put it that way. Um, and those are just going to be big shoes to fill for whoever has to uh, who has to step in for him. No, it was, it was really cool getting to know him, uh, getting to meet him and interact with him and become friends with him over the years. Uh, and as, as somebody who grew up in the area, grew up as a Sixers fan, grew up listening to him, 
it was a little bit surreal, but it was also very much appreciated. Um, really good guy. Um, all right. So moving on. You, are, are you throwing your name in the ring for the next announcer? I would be terrible at that. I would be absolutely terrible at that. Yeah. I think people who listen to this podcast can attest that neither of us are going to get that job. No, thinking on my feet is not necessarily like I can get tongue tied pretty easily, pretty easily. That would, nope, 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 nope. Do not have nearly the, the smooth enough delivery no. to, uh, to accomplish that. Uh, look, I got a face for radio, a voice for print. Um, <laughs> that's where I am. Anyway, um, don't need to talk about my career. It's about Mark Zumoff's career. Moving on to the <laughs> next loss that the Sixers had. Uh, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment CEO Scott O'Neill is stepping down to pursue other opportunities. Uh, Scott had been with the team for eight years since 2013 uh, and was. Yeah, he was he was he was here during a lot of very notable events. Uh, The Sixers obviously increased their value tremendously over that time. The Sixers ownership acquired a bunch of properties while he was here. Uh, They expanded their business. They're a very profitable business. I guess good on Scott for that. Yeah, not a small thing. Obviously, it would be a major deal in every organization. You know, these teams, as much as we talk about the basketball side of these organizations, they are businesses, all of them. And he ran the business side for, what, eight years? Close to a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so that's that's a a big, notable loss, I would say, for somebody who was felt like he was omnipresent for a lot of the, the last decade. And, uh, and yeah, he, uh, I think the inquiry reported that he had a, had a small ownership stake and he is selling that as well. But yeah, I mean, I think Scott O'Neill probably more prominent than your, your normal run of the mill head of business operations sure. for a franchise. Sure. And I, I mean, obviously he was very involved, um, probably more involved than most people listening to this podcast thought he should have been. He had ownership's ear to a very significant degree. Um, and he, I mean, he, very frequently fought with and against Hinky on the direction of the franchise. Um, and quite frankly, at times fought with the fans on the direction of the franchise. Uh, he then benefited from that after Sam was pushed out the door. That doesn't mean he didn't have his positive qualities that he brought with him to the role. Uh, but those are aspects of his job that most people listening to the podcast, quite frankly, don't care about. Uh, and he was at odds with, I mean, he was at odds with quite literally the process. Um, so he was definitely a big part of the organization. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how they uh, they go about replacing him. And um, yeah. Yeah. All you right. Anything else on it? I got yeah. nothing else. I got nothing else. I got nothing else either. Nothing else. Uh, Scott's, Scott's, Scott is not a polarizing figure at all. At all. Uh, nope. Nothing else. All right. So let's move on to Ben Simmons, I guess. Uh, so a couple of quick notes. Simmons is not playing in the Olympics. Uh for Australia, he is instead going to work on personal, uh, personal work, personal development. Uh, Rich, do you think it was better for him to work on his skills development and his jump shot, or play in the Olympics? Which would you have preferred? As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. 
Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager so i don't know i i think daryl morey's comments after the season were spot on where I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's the correct path because in a lot of cases, playing high-level international basketball has been a positive for younger players. But I think it's also fair to point out that Ben Simmons' current day is not like most younger players. Most of those players, they're up-and-coming stars, scorers that haven't gotten to the top levels of the NBA yet. I think, let's say the Suns lost to the Lakers in the first round. They're not the the perfect example because they are now playing in the NBA Finals. But Devin Booker is the perfect example of somebody who benefits, I think, from playing high-level international basketball, getting a taste of playing with other great players, and also probably winning stuff because, hey, look, we're not the perfect country, but we're, we're pretty good at throwing the ball in the, in the hoop over, uh, you know, over a, a 94-foot court and a 10-foot hoop. So... But Ben is not that guy, right? And I, I don't I don't know what the answer is. I, I would say it's probably it might be hopeful news for anyone looking for a dramatic overhaul in his form because you really can't do that if you're spending yep. a month and a half at the Olympics. I would also say a dramatic overhaul in his form is still a very uphill task in what, a three month span? Yep. You know, I don't I don't know how they're gonna be able to do that. So I don't really want to spin this as dramatically negative news, dramatically positive news, because Ben Simmons is facing, I mean, he's facing, he's dealing with some serious issues right now. And, you know, if it was just confidence, I think there's a chance maybe playing in the Olympics could have helped that. Might have worsened it too. You don't know how he would have played in the Olympics. I think uh, it's clear that some of the uh, the Australian players and fans are, they're probably a little fed up with this because he's been saying he would play for their team for a long time, and it sucks that I think he was going to play for them this he year. Probably he probably didn't see this shit storm coming, yeah. Well, should have worked on a shot over the past four years, right? Um, so now you have a player who has made three all-star teams who is openly admitting, I have to work on my game because I was so bad in the playoffs. So I don't know what the right answer is. I, I think... I honestly think this is probably the, the more logical response to not play in the uh, in the Olympics, but you know I could see it either way. Yeah, I, like I see a lot of people saying, like, well, the only way to work on your like build up your confidence and work on succeeding in the fourth quarter is to play and succeed in the fourth quarter. Well, what does it what does it what does it matter? Like we've seen him be confident from the free throw line for a game or a week or a month or even a half a season. If he hits a cold spell, is that confidence is gone? So it doesn't really matter what kind of success he has 
even in a big stage like that, if he hits struggles again in the future, there's always a chance of reversion. And I do agree if you're going to, you know, the way it could be damaging, if you're going to make significant, maybe not a complete overhaul, but significant changes to his form, putting him back in a competitive environment, very likely just revert back to what's comfortable, what's not. No, yeah, that I think I think if you're looking for any overhaul in the form, what you, you know, you, there's two parts of this, mental and physical with the form. If they're identifying the physical aspect of it and trying to target that, then this is the right move. Right. Absolutely. Uh, now the question is, should that be their target? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> so like, I, I, do I think his form, especially in a, in a weird way, I almost think his form on in-game catch and shoot jumpers is more workable than his free throw form. Um, do I think his form on jumpers is good enough where he can make 30% of catch and shoot shots? Yeah, probably. The confidence isn't there. Do I think his form on the free throws could be overhauled? Yeah, probably. Probably should be. But do I think he could also shoot 65, 70% with his current form? Probably too. There's yeah. a lot of chicken and egg here, which I don't truthfully like. Is his, would changing his form fix his confidence issues or would those confidence issues always be there? Uh, it's a, it's a, and quite frankly, like, even if you fix your form and he, he develops a, better, more repeatable form if he's not confident in that form. And it might take a long time, not just three months, but six months, a year, two years, three years for him to really be confident. Is he going to revert back every time he misses three in a row? I I don't know. The truth is, if you're saying like, which way is more likely to lead to a sustained good shooter, it's probably neither. It's probably just not going to work. If I'm being completely honest, Um, I think it might be just too late to really fix the fundamental issues. But I think if you're going to make significant form changes, this is the only way. Should he make significant form changes? Well, certainly, I think five years ago, he should have made significant form <laughs> changes. Uh, the question is whether or not he can realistically do that now. I don't I don't know. But I, quite frankly, I think it's worth a shot just because he wasn't getting anywhere going the way he was anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I've settled on make form changes. There you go. You talked yourself into I it. I talked myself yeah. into it. And that's the, that's the trouble with been trying to get better in this offseason is that the amount of muscle memory that he has to overcome to shoot any different way. I mean, that's the thing. When everybody says, oh, yeah, shoot with your right hand. Do you realize how many shots he has taken with his left hand in warm-ups? I I get it. He doesn't do it in games, but he does it in warm-ups all the time, and I'm sure he does it in the offseason all the time. the, The amount of bad muscle memory you have to overcome that that doesn't happen. Like I, I distinctly remember Evan Turner working out with Herb McGee to try yep. and change his low release and kind of his weird form. That's also one of my favorite Philly things too. Like, oh, just send him to Herb McGee; he'll fix it. All right. Well, well Herb wouldn't shoot. I, I've seen enough Herb McGee clinics. He's he's gonna make all of his free throws at least. Yeah. So. So yeah. So I think um, you know when you look back at that experience Evan Turner he wasn't changing hands he was just kind of changing it was like changing his hand placement on the ball I think that his guide hand was screwed up that was on the front of the basketball yeah I mean and that was really hard for ET to do it now ET look he had he had a decent career he he got pretty lucky and that his best season happened right before the uh the cap jumped up <laughs> so he got he got paid a shit ton of money and he was out of the league at the end of that contract but whatever good for him um, but you know, he obviously didn't become a great three point shooter by any means. I, I think that 
how monumental this task is in rebuilding his form should not be undersold. Yep. It's going to be really, really hard. It's, it's, not, like, it's uh, not a slight change. It's not a slight change. It's like uh, the scene in Moneyball when they're they're talking to Scott Hatterberg about changing positions and like Billy Bean's like, it's 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 easy. Tell him, Wash. And he's like, it's extremely difficult, like, or whatever. And that's what this is. It's probably even harder than changing positions in baseball because, I mean, this, that's why, like, you know, NBA games, like, the, the skill level of these guys is off the charts. And when you have to start from scratch with the most basic skill in the game with, with one of these players, it's, uh, it's tough. tough. I, like, a lot of people will say, like, well, he's shooting with the wrong hand. And quite frankly, I agree with them. I think he's I, a right-handed person. He's no admitted that he is a right-handed person. He does everything else pretty much outside of shooting a basketball and dribbling a basketball right-handed. Uh, he's talked about how his father put the ball in his left hand to make him more ambidextrous. All of this, I if he was shooting a basketball right-handed from the time he was five years old, do I think he would be a better shooter? Yes. Do I yes. think some of these confidence issues might be because he has been shooting a basketball with the wrong hand for his entire life? Yes, I think yes. there's a chance of that. Do I think he can realistically change that now at 24 after, like you said, all of that muscle memory and repetition? Eh. Uh, so, like, I, I'm at the point where, like, just try it just to fucking try it, like, just because it's not working otherwise. But do I have confidence it's going to work? No, not really. And I would get why there's some hesitancy to do it, too. It's, it's a lot. I think uh, I think that's the, the big story for this offseason for the Sixers is – I mean, it's, it's, at least it's a basketball story, right? It's yeah. how he, how he tries to remake his form. I mean, I'm sure news will get out there if they decide to do the, the right-handed thing, but I think, uh, I think you put it well, you know, the, uh, do I think he probably should be shooting with this right hand? Yeah. But at this advanced stage in, in your career, it just doesn't happen that much. It, <laughs> I shouldn't say it doesn't happen that much. It never happens that somebody is able to successfully change their uh their form but you know it's it's been so bad it got so bad this year that yeah i guess it's worth a shot what was it tristan thompson the one to really try it yeah he tried it right with his free throws but he he never became a good shooter anyway and for him it's it's much less of a problem because he was a you know an energy guy yep and also like he played with lebron too so tristan thompson was a damn good player on those teams but that was a special scenario where he was playing with LeBron and Kyrie and all this space where, uh, where his skill set fit in really nicely for that team. All right. So who is playing in the Olympics? It looks like Matisse Thibel will play for um, Australia. Matisse was, he spent a couple of years there living there when he was real young uh, in his pre basketball playing days. But because of that, he is eligible uh, to, to play uh, what I think he maybe like, four through eight, like somewhere in that he was, when he was four to eight years old, uh, his family had lived there. Uh, so it looks like he will be playing for them. Uh, but obviously Ben Simmons, not whole lot of chatter with, uh, with the Blazers moving on to more Ben Simmons talk, but the, there's been some discussion about Dame Lillard potentially being unhappy, uh, certainly being unhappy with some of the heat he was getting, uh, with Portland's coaching search, which launched on Chauncey Billups and then ended in one of the, most ridiculous press conferences we have seen in recent memory, Ridic which is ridiculous, pretty strong of a statement because there's a lot of ridiculous press conferences. So a lot of speculation, whether or not Dame could be on the move or available or ask out. And really that's what it would take. It would take Dame Lillard asking out of 
Portland, by some combination of being upset with the coaching search or upset with uh, sort of like the blame he is getting for that coaching search or just upset for not advancing far in the playoffs. Let's forget what just forget for a moment whether or not Dame will actually ask out. If he does, would you trade Ben Simmons for him? I I know the answer to that. Uh, Yes, of course you would. Uh, And I look, I see some hand wringing over. Well, you got to try to keep Thibault or you got to try to keep um, Maxi. And sure, you can try to keep him. That that can be your starting point. If Dame Lillard is available, wants to come to the Sixers and Sixers have an offer that would get him, you pretty much back up the dump truck. Like there's look, there might be a package, a combination of things. That's just too much for you. You reach a, a, a tipping point. But there's no single asset the Sixers have outside Joel Embiid who would be untouchable in that trade. None. None. Simmons, Thibel, Maxi, two firsts. It's basically what you could give. I mean, what else do you want? You know? I mean, they uh, probably ask for pick, pick swaps. Um, sure. Go ahead. But yeah. I, I, I agree. If you're giving up all of your young players, like maybe hold back the pick swaps. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Try, try to try to keep something. But this look, this is something where you absolutely like there's I mean, they could they could take a pick swap next year or the year after. Yeah, because sure. I would because if I'm the Sixers, I would say I have Dame Lillard and Joel Embiid. You're, you're not going to have a better record. No. than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, if you if you can start off with the base of Lillard and Embiid, first of all, you will find players to fill out the rest of your rotation. Like we've seen this time and time again. We'll go, oh, but you can't mortgage your debt. You can rebuild depth. You can, especially when you're talking about role players, you can rebuild depth. We see it every year. We see it with every super team. Well, and we also saw it with the Sixers this year. Their depth was okay, but it was very up and down. Sure. And it didn't really matter because your second best player was a shell of himself. You need that second star. And that's the big thing. Yep. And if you end up with, you know, Embiid and Lillard and... Maybe let's say you can even keep one of, of Maxi or Thibel and Harris. You have a base of a legitimate championship team. And right now you look at Embiid and you look at the Supermax and there's going to be a lot of hand, hand wringing about that too. And you say, all right, look, we have three to four years. We're, it's not even like we're super confident that Embiid's going to be an MVP caliber, but we have a realistic three to four year window that we have to maximize. There is almost nobody in the league better suited to maximize that than Dame Lillard. And will you take a short-term hit on depth, on young players, on assets? Yes, of course. That's how you get superstars. But by being able to pair those two, it is a opportunity that you might never get again. And look, we'll compare it to the Harden situation. And Harden is older. He's There's more baggage that comes with him. There's more concern of his of an injury history going forward just because of his age. There is like no real downside like he is a class A human being. He is a hard worker. He is a leader. He's a perimeter scorer that they need. He's a two man game with Embiid that they need. He's a ball handler, shot creator. Back it all up. Back to all of it. All of it. that that big pile of money that Walter White was looking at in that storage locker. Just back it all up. Again, I haven't seen and, that though. Oh my God, that's right. Jesus. Well, it's not a perfect comparison because that's money. Whereas this, you can't give Dame Lillard money. He's under contract, but all the assets. He's already got the money. He's already laying on top of it, but but he could can transfer that money across the country. What the hell have you been doing with your offseason? You you disappoint me. So 
Wait, real quick, now, now that I'm thinking of it, Matisse is going to have – some of those Olympic teams are – I'm not going to single out the countries are, – are pretty overmatched. They're not very good. Matisse is going to have a game where he has a million steals in one of those uh, those preliminary games because Australia is good, uh, and, and he's going to become a household name in Australia with one of those. I was just thinking that randomly. Yeah, no, Lillard would be – he would be an absolutely perfect fit. I wonder a little bit in just reading the coverage out there, I think – First off, Chris Haynes releasing that report is pretty interesting because he is pretty tight with Dame. I would say it. Uh, it's clear that he's a he's a good source for uh, for the state of Damian Lillard. I would put it that way um, because I think he's developed a good relationship with him. So so that's a situation to look at. I wonder a little bit if it was the unhappiness had to do. I don't want to call it like a public relations move, but Dame took a lot of heat for the yep. Chauncey Billups stuff, which, by the way, I totally believe him that he had no idea of the 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 allegations about Chauncey sure. Billups from, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. I think he just thought, hey, this guy was a great player and he seems like a, you know, like he'd be a good coach or whatever. Uh, so he took a lot of heat for that. And I wonder if some of that was... You know that can be the, the anger can be dialed down a little bit. Yeah, after, and like that's that. one thing. And do I think the anger is going to dial down in Portland over the hiring? Not no. necessarily. Not sh- certainly in the short term. Certainly not with the way they handled it. But do I think the anger towards Dame and his role, quote unquote, role in the hiring will die down? Yeah, I could, I could yeah. see that dying down. Yeah. So I wonder if that was a little bit of a, an emotional moment, and that's a situation where, you know, if if you're Portland again, the their hiring and, and their handling of that press conference was absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, if you're them, you, you try and let things simmer down a little bit and see where, uh, where things stand in, in a few months. The the one thing I will say with Dame though, is that even regardless of the, uh, of the coaching hire and, and all the controversy surrounding that the Blazers were in a situation where he could express some unhappiness, regardless of who the coach is. You know, I think he looks at his basketball mortality and sees the the roster that they have put out there and wonders, Hey, are, are these guys going to get me a championship at any point? And I think the answer to that is looking like, no, you know, so could this be something that maybe doesn't happen in the off season, but maybe it happens in the middle of this season. It's, it's a tough thing because Portland does not have to trade name because he is under contract for what? Three more years. Yeah, I think so. So this is not a, a Hardner in Anthony Davis thing where it's even a year and a half. This is they, they have him for a long time. So, you know, could things change maybe if they have a bad season here and, you know, things start to sour even more? Maybe. And maybe that's the argument for holding on to Simmons for a little while. But uh, you're going to need to want him to want to come here. I don't think Simmons is a terrible offer. Like a, a Simmons-led package is a terrible offer for, for, for Dame, but you're going to have to throw in a lot more stuff and you're probably going to have to want him to say, Hey, I'd like to play here. If, if you can make that happen. Yeah. I think that's really got, and he's actually got four more years left on his contract. Hmm. That's Wait, a long, that's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> um, but it's still, he's what, I think 30, um, look, will the last year or two maybe not be great. Yeah. That's the price you pay. He'll probably still be a good player. It's just, there'll be too much money for him, but he also, who knows? It's tough to predict. Uh, aging curve sometime. But where was I going with that? Uh, I certainly could see Portland struggling to compete again and, and coming out of the gate struggling. 
and I certainly think, look, Dame has been so loyal for so long that there's still part of me. that just, I need to actually see him get frustrated with the lack of winning at a high level before I believe it's actually going to happen. But I, it would make sense if it would. It's just Dame's been so loyal for so long that I don't know. We'll see. And y- yeah. yeah, Simmons, look, Simmons, especially next to CJ would be a good fit. I don't think a Simmons CJ group is going to get you to the promised land either. I think Simmons makes a lot more sense next to Dame instead of in place of Dame. But I could see Simmons and stuff and a whole bunch of stuff being a, uh, at least a starting point. Uh, And look, I think Dame's value across the league will be like, you will see a lot of teams in on this. Um, There aren't that many that will have the assets to trade, but anyone who does will, will kick the tires for sure. That should be the name of the pod. Dame would be good. Dame would be good. He would be good. That's true. That's true. All right. So what else do we got here? I guess a couple of minor notes. Sam Cassell interviewed for the head coaching job for the Washington Wizards. Obviously, I think when we saw the staff put together by Doc Rivers, you knew there was going to eventually be some attrition. Uh, There are a couple of guys, Sam Cassell, uh, Jaeger, who are on the cusp of uh, head coaching Spots uh, have been for the last couple of years, so it's not surprising to see Cassell get an interview. Even if he doesn't end up getting the job, you expect that there will be more interviews in the future. Uh, they will they will lose assistant coaches. Doc Rivers will have to replace some of these guys. Part of what makes the disappointment this year, especially the coaching staff disappointment, uh, there was a lot of good coaches on that staff, high-profile coaches who will get looks around the league. If then come up small, it was a little disappointing, but... Um, Cassell getting that uh, getting that look. And I think a lot of people look at Cassell and thinking, all right, well, if the Sixers are going to salvage Ben Simmons and his jumper, Cassell is going to play a very key role for that. So obviously that might hurt the Sixers more than it would a normal assistant coach. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, he was tasked with, you know, dealing with Simmons. That was his main workout partner. Simmons' main workout partner was Sam Cassell. I mean, it's it's hard to tell because Sam... Again, again, we weren't around the team as much this year. So, it, but just from eyeballing what happens on the bench, you know, he was very active in uh, in everything. He certainly was was yelling at a lot of the players. He he seems like a good head coaching candidate, regardless if uh, things worked out with Simmons or not. Just because one, like he had a very good playing career, he should have some level of gravitas from that, and he's also paid his dues. He's been an assistant coach for close to a decade now. And Doc, I think even before he got to Philly, he said, you know, Sam Cassell should be a head coach by now. So that would uh, that would not surprise me if he got that uh, that Washington job. That's a place he's coached before. And yeah, they're, uh, the thing with the Sixers is regardless of who the, the head coach is, it just seems like when, when you have a consistently good team, assistant coaching talent flocks here and they uh, they eventually get pluck for head coaching jobs, even if it's not right away, as you saw with uh, Ime Udoka in, in Boston now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, and yeah, he started He started with Washington, I think, right? I think that's where he started yeah. his coaching career. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Also, not really much else. Uh, nice to see. Honestly, I, I, I enjoy watching the Suns play, so it's nice to see from that perspective. But a bunch of former Sixers now playing for a chance at a title. Dario Sharge obviously being the player, and then Monty Williams yeah. and Kevin Young as assistant coaches who are on that staff, or were assistant coaches with Brett. Now Monty, obviously the head coach, Kevin Young, an assistant over there with Phoenix. So they will get a chance to compete for a title. 
Good to see Willie Green. Willie Green too, who I, I don't know, but certainly watched him play a lot of basketball. For my his, days, yep. Drove me insane. In yep. Good for him. Good lifetime. For him. Seems like he could be a head coach at some point too. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, the Suns are a very fun team to watch. I, I very much have enjoyed Dario's rebirth as a small ball five for a a great team. He, uh, you know, obviously remember we were we were pretty concerned about what his next contract would look like when he sure. was still on the Sixers. I think he certainly settled into more of the role player tier in the NBA in, in settling for a little bit more reasonable money, but look, he's a good role player with the way the game is played now. Um, good fit for the Suns team. Good, good backup to Aiton gives them a different look, which again, the Sixers didn't have this year. Must, must be nice to have a different look. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're a, a lot of fun to watch. Was, was pumped to see Chris Paul, even though. He was still doing his annoying flopping shit. Uh, I was, I was still, I was still pumped for somebody after, who's had after such a great. After a couple of games where he was struggling coming back from the health and safety, being out for health and safety protocols, uh, he, certainly watching him the other night was nice to see. And I mean, I've always thought that he's the best point guard that I've watched, like during my NBA basketball watching lifetime. Which don't, don't include the '90s in there. I would say post 2000. He just, I thought he was just an unbelievable point guard and. For him to uh, finally get a shot at the finals after 16 years. Now, somebody yeah, get- somebody in Twitter mentions did did call you out on that because they say you're overlooking Steph Curry. Oh, overlooking Steph Curry. Um, yeah, that, that's a good we're, point. We're, we're, we're sort of getting into positional de- designations that I don't really care that, too much about. That's a good point. I, I, I'm looking at more the the classic point guard. But yeah, yeah. if you want to argue that Steph is is a better player than, than Chris Paul, there is there's I, nobody in our lifetime that. that I have seen who has control of the game like Chris Paul does. Well, we'll That's what I'll, I mean. I'll phrase it like that. Yeah. The the classic point guard designation. Um so yeah, great player finally gets a shot at the championship and frankly, look, you should probably win the finals now, uh, considering yeah. Giannis is out. I mean, I, I know I don't know what Atlanta's going to going to bring in game 5 here, but very very good shot for all of those guys to get a ring. And like you said, again, I don't really know Monty Williams that well. You know, had a conversation or two with him when he was here in Philadelphia and he was just an assistant coach, but that's a great story. So. I mean, he, he was he was another one that you knew that this was a stepping stone to get back into the head coaching ranks. And he certainly fell into a good opportunity and made, damn sure made the most of it. Uh, so good <laughs> good on him. He's awesome. His plays are ridiculous. Like his, he's coming up with these clutch, you know, ATOs and, it's certainly uh, he's certainly been coaching his ass off. I mean, they just have a, a fun style he, too. He should have been coach of the year. I would have yeah. voted for Monty for coach oh, of yeah. the year, not not Thibodeau. Um, yeah, yep, fun team to watch. Uh, looking forward to the finals. It'll be interesting to see. I I, I hope uh, I hope. What is Giannis doubtful? His, I'm his not sure he's going to return to play the rest of the playoffs. So if that's the case, Phoenix should definitely win the championship. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not, not, not the, uh, not the playoffs. A lot of people expected when it started, but they're the playoffs no. we have. No. The playoffs we have. Uh, I got nothing else. How about you? Nothing. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thank you for jumping on and have a good one. See you, man.